Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hi everyone and welcome to My Melanie Money Medical. My name's Dev Raga and I'm your host and in this episode we'll go through the concept of stagflation. At the time of recording this episode, which is in August, there's been some recent discussions and concerns about stagflation as a concept and I thought it worthwhile visiting this concept and how it could affect your personal finances and some of the things that you can do to mitigate the risk. Now by the time this airs, it's going to be probably October, November, so it may not be relevant to that time, but I think as a concept it's really important important to understand this. If you want me to discuss a specific topic or if you have a specific question, don't hesitate to contact me via Twitter or via Facebook. And for those of you that are new to the channel, remember the aim is to be educated, empowered and entertained. So what is stagflation? Now, traditional economic thinking was when inflation was high, unemployment is low. And this was always thought to be the case. This is the so-called inverse relationship between unemployment rates and inflation rates, which we have all come to understand and accept as a broader economic theory. And this is called the Keynesian macroeconomic theory. Now, I discussed this specifically in episode 217. We'll also discuss macro and microeconomic theories. But is there a problem with this thinking? Well, it turns out it's not always the case that this relationship exists. And in the 1970s, we had a period where this theory didn't actually pan out. So the economists refined their theories a lot more. So they came up with the name stagflation, which basically meant the economy was slowing and there was no growth, so there was stagnation, but inflation was sky high and therefore unemployment was also rising and also was very high. Now, the term was originally come up in a speech, actually, made in Parliament by this guy called Ian MacLeod in 1965. Now, he was a politician as part of the UK Conservative Party, which has been in the media quite a lot lately. And he said, we now have the worst of both worlds, not just inflation on the one side or stagnation on the other, but both of them together, we have a sort of stagflation situation. And history in modern terms is indeed being made. Now, that's what he said. At the time, the UK was facing high unemployment rates and high inflation rates. Now, what's interesting when I did some research about this stagflation is I actually didn't know, but apparently when you combine words of deferring meanings together, it's called portmanteau spelt P-O-R-T-M-A-N-T-E-A-U. Now, I probably didn't pronounce it right, but that's what it's called. 
So, for example, the word podcast was actually derived from iPod and broadcasting. I had no idea about that. Now, back to stagflation. I think while we go on to this journey in this episode, it's also worthwhile learning about the Phillips curve, which proposed this inverse relationship between unemployment and inflation, something we've always come to understand and learn. So, you know, probably want to Google this if you want to, but when you look at the curve, the x-axis has the unemployment and the y-axis has the inflation levels. And you'll notice the curve is concave and it slows down from the left to the right. And as inflation is high on the curve, you'll see that unemployment is relatively low and vice versa. And this curve has been called into question many a times since the 1970s, when stagflation was first described and observed in real life. Now, the other thing we need to really understand is what is inflation and what is deflation? Inflation is basically when prices of goods and services rise over time. Deflation is basically when prices of goods and services fall over time. Initially, when this happens, though, it spurns a bit of spending, but the broader economy suffers. So eventually, spending also decreases. Because remember, when prices decrease overall, initially, people may spend more money because things are cheaper. But over time, broader economy suffers and eventually people stop spending money. And we know that spending money is really important for economic activity and growth. Now, too much of inflation or too much of deflation is bad for all of us. And generally speaking, central banks like to keep their inflation in check. Around the 2 to 3% mark, but of course, in 2022, we are approaching 7% in Australia. The UK, it's, I think, 13 or 14% at the time of recording. And the US is at 8.5%. Now, in terms of concepts of inflation, I've done it in previous episodes. Go back and listen to it. Episode 202, 133, and episode 27. So that's inflation and deflation in a nutshell. What about 2022? Is stagflation a risk in Australia or globally? Now, again, remember, I'm recording this in August 2022. So by the time this episode airs, it's probably going to be late October or early November, and it may not be relevant, but I think it's worthwhile to know. The concern is, at the time, coming out of the COVID pandemic, we have gone from a lower amount of consumerism to a very high amount of consumerism very, very quickly. So people are craving for goods and services. They're craving to go on holidays. They're craving to travel. And globally, supply chain issues has been wound down because in 2020, demand wasn't there. And in 2021, demand picked up. And in 2022, demand skyrocketed. So when you wind supply chains down, it's not easy to wind them back up again. So then the concern was so much demand meant people are willing to pay higher and higher prices for the goods and services. But supply chain constraints with the Ukraine war and China not really back up to speed due to their COVID shutdowns, even now in 2022, has meant people can't get their hands on those goods and services. And this means businesses haven't been able to cope with demand 
and they can't sell any products due to the shortage. So slowly, they start going bust, which raises the unemployment, but inflation keeps rising as well. So that's been the concern in 2022. Whether that's going to pan out or not, we're not sure. And the problem then becomes, if this keeps going up and up, then the GDP of the economy suffers, and that can lead to a recession. So let's dive a little bit deeper in some of these factors which can cause stagflation. There are about maybe five or six factors that perhaps worth looking at. Number one is supply shock. Now, this means when there's a sudden decreased supply of goods and services, then prices of those goods and services will rise quickly. And usually this is only for major commodities, not really for minor items. Remembering that commodities are required in order to produce goods, which are then serviced. So let's use an example to highlight this principle. Amy is a nurse working in the private healthcare system. She drives to and from work, and unfortunately, she has read recently that countries which have major oil reserves are starting to hoard oil to themselves and not exporting them and won't sell it to Australia. Now, let's assume they have their own reasons for this. Australia doesn't produce much oil, and oil is required to power the economy. It's required to run companies and businesses, which in turn produces goods and services. Australia is able to negotiate with other smaller oil economies to bring in some oil. Now, this sets off a chain of events. Oil is scarce. Demand is still the same. But now supply is severely limited. Therefore, obviously, the price of oil skyrockets. This means anything that uses oil also rises in value. Goods and services, petrol, diesel, you name it, everything goes up. Prices of everyday items for Amy also rises. Because, you know, these goods and services have to be supplied, which means logistics, using oil. Businesses then struggle to sell those items because prices keep rising. Remember, the supply chain is now affected and the prices to get these goods and services made is also rising. But wages are stagnant. And eventually, businesses give up as their profits are so small they start folding one by one. Now, people who work in those businesses lose their jobs. And even less, goods and services now exist. And eventually, due to business closures, the economy shrinks. Unemployment rises, but inflation is still high as people still need essential goods and services. And eventually, even private health networks collapse and Amy loses a job. Now, this is just an example which kind of happened in the 1970s when price of oil jumped 300% due to the oil embargo. Now, more about that later in the episode. The key point here is supply chain shocks, which are sudden, means price rises and businesses become less and less competitive due to radical reduction in profit margins, which eventually means they close. And this slows the economic growth and leads to a recession. So that's supply shock, which can cause stagflation. Number two is poor monetary policies. Believe it or not, 100% employment is actually not really possible. And if it's achieved, it means the economy is maximised and performing at the highest efficiency possible. Economists and governments try and maximise unemployment as much as possible. But with it comes some problems. For example, if everyone is employed then it means there has to be pay inequalities for the market to exploit. 
Otherwise, there's no reason to change jobs. This drives up wages and, of course, leads to dreaded friend inflation because people have more money to spend. So as more people get heaps of money and they have loads of money to spend, but the supply of goods and services hasn't really increased, then therefore we have a problem of more people chasing the same amount of goods and services. And of course, that drives up prices. Also, as wages increase, businesses need to remain profitable. So price of goods and services also rise as costs rise for the businesses. This is a classic double whammy. This was actually trialled in the 1940s after World War II. America tried to have full employment and it just drove inflation up. Now, Richard Nixon did a few things which he thought was a good idea to control stagflation in the 1970s. Number one is he instituted a 90-day wage freeze and all prices. He did this conveniently until the 1972 presidential election So it was more of a political stunt rather than actually trying to help the economy, I think. Then what he did was he taxed imports with 10% tariffs to protect local industries. Sounds like a good plan at the time, but of course local industries also need imports for them to run their businesses. So it raised their prices as well. And lastly, he removed the United States from the gold standard. Now prior to that, the dollar's value would always be tied or fixed to a amount of gold, called the Bretton Woods Agreement. So what happened then was import prices rose, growth slowed, businesses' profitability took a turn for the worse, so they had to stay alive by cutting costs, i.e. sack workers. Unemployment rose, consumer demand reduced. So ironically, Nixon kind of tried to help, but he made things worse. Now, number three is mergers and acquisitions. Now, this feeds into the first point about supply chain shock. We now know that supply chain shock can cause stagflation. So with mergers and acquisitions, basically it gives greater power for one entity in terms of control of supply. And there is some relationship between mergers and acquisitions and stagflation and even globalization. So if certain companies team together and merge, basically it creates a power differential and concentrates the power to limit the supply of commodities, goods, services in fewer hands. And this means that can lead to capital also being at the hands of a few companies, which of course can artificially lead to supply shock. Let me put it this way. If you have two companies controlling the market for one particular product, then those two companies, if they're merged, that means you've only got one company now controlling the entire product. And therefore, that company can dictate the supply chain and therefore raise prices by acting in bad faith. Now, the fourth thing is demand pool concept. This is the most common reason why inflation happens. More demand for goods and services means more pull towards them, thereby raising their prices. And of course, that results in inflation. In this case, though, economist Eduardo Loyo proposed we don't really need supply chain constraints for stagflation to occur. We just need demand pool to occur. And this is also closely linked to monetary supply. So if central banks reduce the money supply, i.e. take money out of the circulation, therefore less money is in circulation, they have given us a monetary shock which could lead to stagflation. Now, to be honest, I don't really understand this concept myself very well. 
If any of you out there are budding economists and you want to reach out and explain this to me like a six-year-old, feel free to do so. Number five is cost push concept. Now, this is similar to supplier-side shock. Basically, rising prices of goods and services means businesses are less profitable and they need to reduce their costs by laying off workers, which rises unemployment. So we have a situation with rising unemployment, but rising inflation, classic stagflation. This leads to economic doldrums. Some factors here can be tariffs, wage rises, labour workforce shortages, etc., etc. Number six is end of the gold standard. Now, the Bretton Woods system was the gold standard at the time, which was revoked in the 1970s by Nixon. Basically, the US dollar value was aligned to a fixed amount of gold. Now, why was it a bit of a problem? Well, the problem was the US uh, dollars were mostly overseas back then and compared to what they had in gold reserves. And in fact, the UK tried to buy $3 billion US dollars worth of gold from the US, but the US didn't have that much gold in reserves. So Nixon basically said, let's stop the gold standard. So what happened next? And this is a basic summary. In 1976, officially, the US decoupled its dollar from the gold. So therefore, that standard went away. This effectively devalued the US dollar. And of course, that had a secondary effect of driving inflation up and coupled with other supply chain shocks at the same time led to stagflation, which hampered economic growth. So, so far we've learned some of the causes of stagflation, but why is it a major problem for the economy and how does it affect the average person? Well, with price rises, it affects the hip pocket. The cost of living pressures become a major problem. Everywhere that I see around me, there's always media reports about the cost pressures in Australia, the inflationary pressures, wage stagnation, the rise of utilities, the rise of products and services. So it's a big deal. And for those of us that are unemployed already, it's even more difficult. And for those of us that are employed, it's a threat to their jobs because businesses become less profitable if stagflation goes up and up. So they tend to become leaner by cutting jobs, reduce consumer confidence, And economic slowdown means less purchasing power. And of course, stagflation means it starts to affect my investments. It starts to affect your investments. How does it do that? Here's how. Higher prices to actually make goods and services lead to less profitability of companies, which maybe you might be invested in. And in my case, I invest across the whole economy. And this means stock market drops. And this means less growth in earnings per share which means less dividends. And of course, growth investors are severely impacted and dividend investors also are impacted by lower dividends, secondary to lower profitability. And if stagflation happens long enough, companies start to go bankrupt, which means more investor losses. So stagflation is a threat to everyone's investments. And basically, it becomes a bit of a domino effect which could take place. Now, as of August 2022, it really hasn't eventuated yet in Australia because we have the lowest unemployment rate on record despite inflation hitting 6%. So the Phillips curve still holds true in Australia at the time of recording this episode. Now, one last thing is to use an example of what actually happened in the 70s on how stagflation happened. And I'm going to explain it in the Australian context. Let's talk about the golden age. This was post-World War II when a lot of scientific innovations and economic prosperity happened. Everything was going so well. 
the era was between 1940 to the late 60s. No one really paid much attention to inflation because back then inflation only occurred during war times when governments printed money to fund the war. And during this time, there was a pressure to have low unemployment. And as a result, it impacted inflation, which led to higher prices. Most people thought it's a small price to pay so that everyone could have jobs. Of course, when this happens, wages also increase. Inflation in Australia was around 7% in 1970. Today, we're freaking out over 6.1% in 2022. Average weekly uh, wages rose by 10% per annum in the 60s. 10% per annum. Then the unemployment rate actually rose from 1.7% to 2.1% in 70 and 71. At the time, people freaked out. Because higher unemployment was always a bad thing right? They wanted to expand the economy, which meant introducing tax cuts, which hopefully will expand the economy, right? Well, it turns out this just caused more inflation and made things worse. So basically between 1965 and 1973, inflation rose steadily in double digits, but unemployment also rose as well due to all the factors we've discussed just before. And all of those things led to stagflation. Now, hopefully this provides a bit of an Australian perspective, but this is pretty much what happened globally. A lot of the crisis has been blamed on oil supply chain, etc., etc. in the 70s, but the problem existed leading up to the OPEC oil embargo. And I think the oil embargo just made things worse and highlighted the problem more starkly. And I think if you analyse that situation, we can learn a lot in today's economics. Now let's go for a quick break, and when I come back, we'll discuss what are some of the things which can be done to reduce the impact of stagflation. And also, I'll tell you what you can do as a personal investor to try and mitigate those risks. Be right back. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back. Let's focus on some of the things which can be done as a response to stagflation. Number one, 
monetary policy. Now, there are two main ways governments and central banks can steer the economy. These are broad principles. Monetary policy is when central banks set interest rates on overnight loans, and this is usually done by the Reserve Bank. Fiscal policy is government spending more money or using tax policies to stimulate economic activity. In Australia, in the last maybe two and a half, three years, we've done both. In 2020, government used fiscal policy by spending more money to so-called save the economy due to the COVID shockwave. And that's just not Australia. Around the world, that's what governments did. In 2022, Reserve Bank of Australia is trying to use monetary policy to set interest rates, which means higher borrowing costs to reduce the rate of inflation. Again, other governments around the world and other banks are doing the same thing. So how does monetary policy help stagflation? Remember, one of the key components of stagflation is inflation. By setting monetary policy and fiddling with interest rates and rising them, the Reserve Bank is trying to control inflation rates. Basically, they're saying, hey guys and girls, don't spend money. And by controlling inflation rates, hopefully it dampens economic activity, i.e. don't spend money. And the byproduct of all of this is we need to accept a slightly higher unemployment rate and slow down in the economic growth and reduction in GDP, which unfortunately can lead to a recession. The key here is monetary policy alone is not going to fix the economy and recession risk at the same time. A real-life example of this happened in 1979 to 1984, when the UK Conservative Party caused a recession by using monetary policy to address inflation and stagflation. Number two is, you've got to improve the supply-side equation. Now, you could try and have policies which improve business output, and this means more goods and services. The way to do this is to address the cost-push issue, is to have some tax policies which are more generous, and also reducing tariffs for businesses, particularly imports. Now, this can be done on a national level, but if your supply chain has international elements to it, this wouldn't work. For example, Australia relies on China for a lot of the supply chain for production of products. In fact, global economies rely on the Chinese manufacturing line. And national policy changes is not going to magically change China's COVID zero policies. It's not going to magically affect their output. So this is why it's a bit ridiculous to expect Joe Biden or Anthony Albanese to fix global issues. They can't. They can only do what they can within their own respective countries to mitigate the risk. Number three is wage freeze. Now, in- inflation aspect of stagflation is controlled by wage freezes, which then reduce profitability of companies, then maybe a wage freeze might be an option. The problem with this approach is it may work well in the short term, but it doesn't work well over the long term. People want to get paid decent wages because the cost of living pressures has risen. The last thing you want to do for long term is a wage freeze, which means spending power decreases overall, and therefore we know spending is what drives the economy, and you could inadvertently cause a recession by freezing wages. In Victoria, public sector wages have been frozen for over 12 months at the time of recording this episode in August 2022. It's hard to implement this in the private sector. Number four is you got to end expansionary monetary policies. Now, we talked about inflation happening because of expanding money supply. If governments restricted money supply, i.e. spend less money, this means it may have an impact on inflation. 
That's a long shot, but it's not an easy solution. In 2020, when Australian government dished out free money to everyone, and believe me, I got free money as well, it was bound to have back-end consequences like it has in 2021 and 2022. Too much money floating around meant prices will go up because people were spending more money. But of course, in 2020, the supply chain issues were constricted. Of course, we now have less goods and services due to ongoing supply chain shocks, so this amplifies the problem. More money chasing even less goods. So ending expansionary monetary policies may only work sometimes. And the last option, my favourite, is just do nothing. Now, we live in a 24-hour news cycle where everything gets blown out of proportion. Some economists believe turning off the TV and ignoring what is happening and that time will just heal things automatically. What they don't accept or maybe not open to is some people may be wiped out financially as a result. And those people are often have high debt levels compared to income and asset portfolio, low income earners, larger families because of the cost of living is high for them, and elderly Australians. Now, it's not a politically palatable response to just stand idly by and do nothing. A classic example of having a knee-jerk response to stagflation is when Richard Nixon did those three things we talked about earlier. And that inadvertently let the country into a recession. So Nixon kind of made it worse, but he thought it would make it better. Now this brings me to John Bogle's greatest quote I love. Just stand there, do nothing. Or something to that effect. So doing nothing when it comes to stagflation may be a solution, but it's going to have consequences for people who will be wiped out financially. Now, before I close up this episode, I just want to talk a little bit about how individual investors can protect themselves against inflation and stagflation, and it all comes down to hedging. Refer to my episode 240 on the concept of hedging strategies. Let's briefly relook at them. Number one, try and keep things blue chip. Stick to long-lasting companies, those that have steady profits and incomes, perhaps companies dealing with staples of the economy, such as infrastructure, utilities, fruit and groceries, healthcare, tech, etc., rather than companies and sectors which are vulnerable to economic shocks. Such companies are called blue-chip companies. Now, I don't buy individual stocks, but I do buy blue-chip indices. I would classify the Vanguard Australian ASX 300 or the ASX 200 stock market index as equivalent to a blue chip index. I would also say the same for the broader market indices around the world like NASDAQ, S&P 500, Dow Jones, FTSE 1000, or FTSE 100, beg your pardon, or anything which has a broad array of companies across multiple sectors and multiple market values. So, stick to the major, major indices or major companies. Number two is dollar cost averaging. I do this regularly. I invest every week, no matter what the market does. At the time of recording this episode, despite the markets being lower compared to December 2021, I'm richer than ever before. How's that possible? Because I kept investing since 12 years ago and will do so for another 30 years. Number three is diversification. This is a very simple one. When you diversify, you put your eggs in various baskets such that no one basket is controlling your financial future. I do this for index funds and superannuation, where it's also indexed globally. I don't think Australia will cease to exist in my lifetime. And likewise, I don't think the world will end in my lifetime. 
Now, if any of those two things happens, we have bigger problems. And my wealth is the least of my concerns. Number four is portfolio rebalancing. By rebalancing your portfolio, which index funds already do, you are making sure your risk and reward ratio is stabilized and doesn't get out of whack. Now, I've discussed this in detail in episode 80. Have a listen to it if you're interested on how to actually go about doing this. But here's the deal. Time and time again, the principles matter. And it comes down to core principles, which every investor and personal financial enthusiast should know about and master. Notice how pretty much everything I talk about, the fundamentals stay the same, no matter how complex the financial concept. So that's about it for this episode about stagflation. Now, remember to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you may be using, or leave a five-star review on all of the platforms, that's even better, and please leave a positive review. On that note, here's a review I found on CastBox by Surya. Hey, Dave, thanks for your commitment to consistently deliver such informative, simplified, well-researched, well-presented financial podcasts for all of us. I understand them in your words much better than any financial advisor would explain it to me. They are absolute gold and I'm enjoying them thoroughly. Thanks, Surya. Thanks for the wonderful feedback. I appreciate it. Please spread the world. And thank you to all those people that routinely message me on Facebook and Twitter thanking me for these episodes. I do put a lot of effort into them and I really appreciate the positive feedback. Let's get to 500 ratings on Apple Podcasts and 500 positive reviews. So please do the favor by just giving us a five-star rating. It helps spread the word and spread the message. Now, my name's Dev Raga from My Melanie Money Medical. And until next time, please make sure you stay safe. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.